welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today my guest is Christopher Jett, who's an associate professor in the College of Science and Mathematics at the University of West Georgia. Chris, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. People might have learned about Chris recently because he was an award winner at the Conference for the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. Uh, Chris got the Early Career Award, so congratulations on that, Chris, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he also recently had an article that uh, appeared in the Journal for Research in Mathematics Education, uh, Volume 50, and that's what's going to be the focus of most of our conversation here. We're going to talk about his article that's entitled, Mathematical Persistence Among Four African-American Male Graduate Students, A Critical Race Analysis of Their Experiences. So, Chris, before we get to that article, I always like to start um, just to help get a little bit of background on my guests. And so in your case, I wanted to ask you about the focus of your dissertation research and uh, with whom did you work there in graduate school? So my dissertation was focused on the experiences of mathematically successful African-American male students. I actually attended graduate school at Georgia State University, and uh, Dr. David Stinson was my major professor there. Oh, great. And so a direct link between that dissertation work and then this article that we're going to talk about today? Yes. Is this actually data from your dissertation work or is this kind of follow-up research? Yeah, this is this is data from that dissertation research. Oh, awesome. So uh, about this article, I wanted to ask you, um, what were some of the prior work, prior research about African-American male students that you were really building upon as you kind of formulated your dissertation? Yeah, so, so really uh, it builds off of David Stinson's work Primarily, it's funny because I actually found his dissertation and read it before, before I even applied to the program. And so, you know, when I when I read his dissertation, you know, I sent him an email about, you know, just pretty much let him know, you know, I was interested in in, the, in this particular line of research. So that's kind of the story behind how I ended up in Georgia State. But my work builds on his study. His study looked at the experiences of mathematically successful high school students, hmm. and that also builds off the work of Robert, uh, Dr. Robert Berry's work. His work uh, looks at the experiences of mathematically successful middle school students. So if you look at that line of work, it's almost like it's a progression like middle school, high school, and then you'll move to my work at the undergraduate and graduate level. I should add that um, a couple of other scholars like uh, Dr. Danny Martin, his work concerning African-American students was very influential with me moving forward with his work as well as Dr. Joyce King, who does work in black education. So all of their body of research sort of really catapulted what I'm doing with this research project. Mm-hmm. And so there's clearly that kind of timeline flow from the earlier grades up to the college level that's building. But what also would you say is the primary aim of that whole body of research and also the aims of your specific study? Like, What is it that that's trying to accomplish and trying to put into the research literature? Yeah, I think it's trying to really uh, move away from a lot of the deficit narratives in the research. If you look at a lot of prior research, the way in which it talks about African-American students, it'll report on things, for example, like, uh, quote unquote, low achievement in mathematics courses or, you know, not the best achievement on mathematics assessments and things of that nature. And so, it really kind of goes back to Professor Sean Harper's work, who talks about, you know, what about the success stories? Why are we not telling those? Why don't we promote more of those in the literature? And so the aim is pretty much to say, OK, there's another piece of the puzzle here as it relates to African-American students. And this piece of the puzzle indicates that there are those who, who are mathematically persistent and who go on and do great things in mathematics and just pretty much to highlight some of those stories in the work. Mm-hmm. 
I would just imagine doing a search for African-American students in mathematics learning or, you know, mathematics studies. And it would be frustrating to just see a lot of things that are about the challenges and the problems and how are we going to deal with this issue and that issue. And so it just seems like, wow, you know, paper after paper that's viewing things as problems that have to be solved or something. And that would be frustrating. And we need some other sorts of stories showing up in that literature, right? Exactly. So in, in the study in JRME, uh, you use critical race theory as one of the lenses to kind of make sense of what you're looking at. I was curious about your choice to use critical race theory and why that made sense as a framework for this analysis. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny because, you know, as a graduate student, you start reading all of these uh, theories. And, and even, you know, even as a professor, you read these theories and say, oh, you know, this, this theory relates to my work in this way and that way. In the beginning, I was primarily looking at critical theory. And I wanted to take a critical approach to the work. And then I started reading uh, about critical race theory. And critical race theory just really sort of captured what it was I was looking for as it relates to race. First of all, I like uh, critical race theory. So it's, well, with reading the CRT-related work, uh, I found that it sort of resonated with my own experiences. And it allowed me to sort of make sense of my own racialized experiences. So when conducting these, this work with these participants, I realized that CRT was the was the appropriate framework to analyze the data with this particular project. Hmm. So there's kind of this implicit case of yourself first, and then there's these four that are the subjects of the you know the participants in the the Jeremy study. Is that true? Because I know you have a section in the article where you talk about your own experience and where you're kind of coming from as an individual how you fit into the kinds of issues that you're talking about. But from the way you were talking about it right there, it almost sounded like you applied CRT to your own experience and it helped you bring some things into focus. And now you're doing it with four additional people. Is that is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely fair to say. And, it, and it's hard. To, it's it's kind of hard to take myself out of the equation, so to speak. I, I just published a chapter in, uh, in the book, The Critical Race Theory and Math Education book that I edited with uh, Julius Davis. Well, that particular chapter allowed me to really share my own experiences about this work because a lot of it, a lot of it has personal meaning to me. Mm. And yes, yes, it has professional meaning. But, you know, the personal side, I can't just always just, you know, just write about my experiences or share it in that manner. And so I think that that particular chapter allows me to expose a little more of the personal mm. and show how it relates to this area of scholarship. Mm-hmm. So in the Jeremy article, um, The Mathematical Persistence Among Four African-American Male Graduate Students, uh, we have the four the four male students. So I was wondering if you could first kind of introduce us to those four students. Uh, just a little bit of information. I know the, the article has more detail, but maybe you can give us a little bit of an overview of those four gentlemen. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I had two master's students and two doctoral students. I didn't plan it that way. It's just that's just who so happened to agree to participate in a study. So the two master's students, one was a master's student in mathematics and one was a master's student in math education. And the same thing for the two doctoral students. Okay. One was a doctoral student in mathematics and one was in uh, math education. They just had some really unique uh, experiences uh, as black men just in general, as well as their mathematics experiences. Three of the four taught high school mathematics which was interesting. They all attended HBCUs for their undergraduate experiences, which is interesting. And it, I guess in some ways it could be surprising, but maybe it's not surprising given that I'm in the southeastern region of the United States. 
-hmm. in these areas where a lot of uh, HBCUs are situated. So that that makes sense with that. And finally, I'll add that they just had a really strong math identity. And so uh, I actually found their stories quite inspiring myself as a researcher. But yeah, that's that's them sort of a brief overview of the participants. Yeah. And you said these four uh, consented. So did you go to graduate programs and then, you know, ask uh, African-American male students if, if they would participate? So did you kind of go to ones who were in graduate school to kind of look for your participants? And then these four were the ones that kind of agreed? Yes. And actually, I, I did more than that. I, I sent some emails. You know, we, we had there were quite a few emails that I sent to to graduate programs. I even in the beginning, I didn't get a, I only think I got like one or two hits back from that response. I ended up going to the school system to try to find try to find some folks. Yeah, it, it was it was <laughs> it was a challenge to, to recruit folks for this. And in terms of their graduate school programs, they're not in the same graduate school, though, necessarily. Right. No, they're not in the right. same graduate. program. Yeah, right. yeah. So getting some kind of. They had went to different undergrad programs, different grad programs, but um, kind of look at their experiences through this critical race theory lens. Right. So first of all, getting into kind of what you saw when you got to know and analyze their experiences, um, what did you see with regard to the internal factors that contributed to them persisting all the way to graduate level, you know, in mathematics or mathematics-related fields? When I look at the internal factors, it's interesting because some of some of the in- internal factors were present, like maybe among a couple of them, but not not among the couple of others, but across all four participants, you know, there were four internal factors that I highlighted in the article. The first was the persistent attitude. Uh, and that's just, you know, about being resilient, uh, not giving up, so on and so forth. Um, the second one was the math identity, which deals off uh, sort of, I guess, Danny Martin's work. Uh, I know Ebony McGee also has a paper about uh, robust mathematics identities. And so I found that that was the case among the participants the third thing was the cultural understanding, uh, and the cultural understanding was really centered on like the African-American culture. And so using that to catapult their mathematics experiences. And then lastly was this idea of the spiritual connection and in the terms of believing in a higher power and turning to that higher power to thrive in mathematics. Mm. So uh, again, you know, the article has a lot more detail that we can't cover here, but I do want to ask about the identity factor that you mentioned. Was there any kind of pattern about when that identity really kind of coalesced to include mathematics? Like, you know, was it in high school that they really saw themselves that way and then that allowed them to persist onward and upward? Or was it more in the undergraduate level that they kind of really incorporated mathematics into their identity? Yeah, it's it's funny. Most most of it was the K-12, K-12 level. There was one participant who really sort of discovered his his interest in mathematics at the undergraduate level. Hmm. And he shared a particular story about a professor just pulling him to the side and letting him know, okay, you know, you're mathematically talented. Why are you not putting your best foot forward with this? And so he, he talked about that as sort of a wake-up call hmm. to inspire him to get serious about his mathematics studies. Hmm. So the the importance of instructors and that kind of personal connection showing up there. Oh, yes, indeed. So the other main uh, aspect that you have in your findings, like what you saw in the analysis, uh, it's not quite as positive. It relates to these racial microaggressions that they experienced. So what were some of the themes that you pulled out of your analysis about the microaggressions that happened? With the racial microaggressions, well, I mentioned first that all the participants went to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. So it's um, the, way that they t- the way they spoke about the HBCUs, you know, they spoke about them 
in terms of being like, oh, you know, this was an uplifting environment. You know, I felt empowered about being on this campus, so on and so forth. And so when, when we talked about issues of race as it relates to the HBCUs, they were all sort of positive things. Mm-hmm. But when they talked about just life in general, as well as their experiences at these predominantly white institutions, they became more critical uh, concerning race, and they were able to pinpoint specific instances in which they might have deemed things um, to be what I analyzed and, and reported as my racial microaggressions. Yeah. So do you mind sharing a few of those uh, examples from the paper? Yeah. So so one was the participant, Dedrick, who shared about just starting off in his uh, graduate program at a predominantly white institution. And this was actually a doctoral program and math education, and, you know, just talking about, you know, just introducing himself, and just at the very beginning of the course, how the students were just looking at him as if, as if his institution was less than, or it's almost like, you know, there were some embedded stereotypes about, about the institution before he could even start the particular program, Mm. and then there was also the case of Rico, and I shared his particular example because he was the one, he had only taught high school for one year. And in his story, he was talking about the, one of the reasons why he left was primarily because of a white administrator. And he was just talking about how this white male was sort of, uh, you know, just sort of picking on him and um, just pretty much asserting that, that, that these, he felt that these issues were really magnified because, because of his race. And I like his particular example because, you know, we're always talking about efforts to recruit mathematics teachers. And this is clearly someone, you know, who had the the heart for teaching and, you know, ended up going going another pathway, even though he's still in the mathematics field, but doing something else in mathematics. So, you know, just just some of those things that that I guess it just shows the power of how racial microaggressions can even cause people to leave or exit our field. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the this broader issue in, in education and in mathematics education to recruit, uh, you know, African-American teachers and scholars into mathematics education. I was wondering if there are other takeaways and implications that you see from your analysis that you really hope kind of others in the field take up, and maybe particularly like thinking about research, because uh, you talked about, you know, an overall aim of this is really to contribute some different kinds of narratives into the research literature. So what do you see as a key takeaway that, that researchers, you know, hopefully would take away from this article? Yeah, uh, my, my primary hope is that researchers will be um, a little more strategic about addressing issues of race and racism. I know, you know, these issues still cause a lot of controversy for people. I mean, you know, you can look at social media and see how uh, racial issues tend to um, cause people to get in all these sort of, you know, hostile debates and arguments and things of that nature. But um, there's a way to address these issues without, without hating, you know, other people. I think, I think um, one thing is for researchers to really, to really systematically address these issues in their research one one other thing i know that equity is really really big right now and so this is a climate where equity is sort of trendy 
for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. But um, I would like to see even some more race related work within a lot of these equity sort of research agendas that folks are proposing to do. So I think that's pretty much the key takeaway from the work. So as we're trying to do equity work in all levels kind of of mathematics education, um, but we're also trying to have a more diversity in the groups of people that we're working with and future teachers and also scholars of math education. Do you see any potential unintended consequences that could happen? So like I'm imagining, you know, maybe having some African-American males, for example, in some mathematics education circles, and that mathematics education circle is trying to work on equity. Are there any instances that you can imagine or that you've seen where the attempt to address equity actually kind of, you know, ends up being a microaggression or something against the African-Americans that are in the group? And so in that sense, it's like, okay, we, we were trying to do something positive, but might have mishandled it or might not have been, you know, as adept as we should have been at handling it. And then could that actually hit the African-American people in a negative way? Yeah, I think, um, for instance, like, you know, if some African-American, whether it's math teachers or scholars or something, you know, um, are pretty much only invited to to do certain things because there's a need for, like, equal representation or something like that and not necessarily because of the expertise that person may bring to the group. Yeah, so for me, that's kind of like one way that it could kind of go wrong would be maybe there's a an institution that has primarily like white faculty, but they're trying to take on equity, but then they might, you know, sort of like look to students of color to contribute, but they're kind of looking to them specifically because we're talking about equity today. So now I really want to hear from you. And so you're almost like shining the spotlight on the students of color, right? Because you're thinking like, Oh yeah, I'm trying to do something to help. And I really want to hear from you, but that's putting a, a kind of mate, possibly a weird spotlight on it, depending on how they re receive it right. or the same thing for, somebody joining the community, if there's this sort of, okay, they join the community, but then if somebody says to them, like, oh, yeah, we're so glad to have a diversity hire or something like that, you're you're sort of almost saying to them, like, you're here for a kind of awkward reason or something instead of on your own merits or something like that. Yes, exactly. It sounds kind of like the student in your study, uh, the graduate student in your study who kind of really felt a lot of uh, attention because of coming from an HBCU, right? Exactly. And I must add that, you know, as it relates to uh, race work, equity work, this is still important and it's still necessary work. So I don't want people to hear this and like get discouraged from doing this sort of work because, you know, honestly, there are times when I don't get things right mm. as, it, as it relates to this work. So it's, it's always a learning process and a growing process. And so there might be some missteps along the way, but, you know, you have to keep you have to keep at it. And that's the only way that things will improve for the field. I'm speaking with Chris Jett from the University of West Georgia. And uh, Chris, I have one other question that I want to ask you. So you mentioned earlier on that you also uh, were an African-American male who persisted on into higher education and, you know, related to mathematics. But I wanted to ask you, if you hadn't persisted in math education as your career, is there something else you could imagine doing instead? It's funny because I said maybe I said maybe two possibilities of what, what I would be doing. One, I think I think I still would be teaching one. So I was like, well, if I weren't teaching math or or if I hadn't persisted in math education, I would probably be teaching in like an African-American studies department or I would be teaching like black history in the school system or something like that. Because I always always joke that, you know, that if I didn't major in math in college, that my major would have been African-American studies. So that's one possibility. Um, the other possibility 
it will probably be um, an author of children's books. Hmm. I know that's like a weird thing, but I like mm-hmm. <laughs> I like children's books, and you know I have a collection at home. Mm-hmm. I also have a collection in my in my uh, campus office, uh, and so I don't know what I like about children's books, but it's just something. <laughs> there's just something innocent about them. There's something imaginative about them. There's something creative about them that you know if I had an opportunity, I guess I would like perhaps be an author yeah. or a writer of children's books. That's really funny that you say that because I actually have like a draft of a children's book that I have had illustrated with like a collaborator. And I'm like right now trying to see if I can find any interest in it. And my kids and my friends' kids like really enjoy it. But it is really fun too. I've also thought that we could really have better math children's books. Because the children's books for math are kind of lame. It's a lot of like counting to 10 and like uh, Julie Nuremberger Haig has looked at this and they leave a lot to be desired. And I've tried to think a little bit about like what would be an engaging with interesting characters, but conceptually rich and valid like mathematics book. <laughs> yes. No, I thought I thought along the same lane too. So, so good. Great, great minds think alike. That, yeah, that might be a future collaboration. The next time I see yes. it at AMTE, we can, we can try to hash out some ideas. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Chris, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us uh, about your work. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you.